Welcome to Style Section, the Wise Guy Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. And we are here, as promised, for a look at Mr. Sardonicus, which served as the prime inspiration, kind of, for the plot <laughs> of the Lynchborough arc. It is, it is something else. Ah. Uh, you know, funny thing is, I just, um, uh, watching William Castle in this, because the film opens with Mil William Castle introducing the story. Yep. It's just so weird to think that this guy, that that guy is the one who bought the rights to Rosemary's Baby and said, I want to make this to the studio. And he was like really desperate to like make the movie because he knew it was going to be incredible. Right. He knew yeah. he had an incredible thing in his hands, but it's like. The studio said was, well, like, we'll pay you and you'll have be a producer, but no, you can't direct this. <laughs> and just thinking, like, it was so obviously a classy prestige kind of novel. You know, it was prestige horror, even yeah. before that was a widely known thing. And the reputation he had built for himself by making, not just making movies like Mr. Sardonicus, but being the host of movies like Mr. Sardonicus meant that he never got the chance to make this movie he was really passionate about, Rosemary's Baby. Well, yeah, and as far as I could tell, I mean, Mr. Sardonicus is directed just fine. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with this. Oh, I mean, I'm looking at this film, I mean... The version, I don't know, did you watch the version? That I did I... watch the first, oh. the same version where the, uh, so this is available to watch on YouTube uh, if you want to watch it for yourself, but the audio is offset in a really weird way. Like, essentially, a few seconds here and there, like five seconds here, ten seconds there, have been cut out of the video, but not out of the audio. So, like, the video gets ahead of the audio faster and faster over the course of the movie. And I was like, I don't know what happened here. It's very strange. Because it starts out synced up, and then yeah. you start getting these jumps. And I don't know how, how that happened. It's quite frustrating, but we were able to watch the movie without any trouble. Well, you just get used to it, except that uh, there were a couple of times where I had to go back. Yeah, and make sure you uh, understood what yeah, was happening. Yeah, okay. You know, Luckily, when it first... Everyone has pretty distinctive voices. Yes. That helps. Helps an awful, awful lot. And yeah. it was, um, but it starts almost at the beginning. Short. Oh, yeah. And then, as you say, it gets longer. By the end, it's two or three minutes. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Two minutes off, I think. Yeah. By the it, uh, yeah it starts off uh, the mint, basically when Sir Robert is getting delivered his syringes. Yes it's the jumping starts and the jumping never stops after that. It's very weird. Yeah. yeah. It's not a, it's not a glitch I've seen in a movie before, but you know, again, we powered through and had a great time with Mr. Sardonicus. Yeah. I, there was nothing wrong with Mr. Sardonicus. Um, yeah. Like to the, yeah. that, and that's the interesting thing about it. Like you, you assume it's going to be, uh, the schlockiest thing imaginable because, but then again, whose word are we taking for that? Uh, but you know, Bull checks. well, no, and lions, yeah. the, the film reviewer, yeah, the film uh, review, the film reviewer who stops in to explain the plot of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and, but yeah, and Mark, but again, now watching the whole film, it's, it's interesting how much of it, uh, the right how much of it actually ties in with Lynchboro more than we saw on the show right down to him having uh right both of them having this uh obsession with uh uh using sex workers right although yeah. there's there's a codified brothel in the town whereas in Mr. Sardonicus he just brings up women because he yeah. needs sex and his wife hates him and he can't bear to have her uh, look at him Right. But yeah. he still needs sex. So he hires these women to come from town and picks one and only one, you know, each night gets to see his horrific face. <laughs> it, it's quite upsetting. And but what interests me, right, is and I think this ties in 
with the themes of the episode of Wise Guy, right, is the way, and I'm tr I'm searching for a way to describe this eloquently, uh, that money and power is in and of itself corrupting. Yeah. Because he seems like he was a perfectly fine guy. Yep. Uh, before he got rich. Yeah, yeah, he was a perfectly fine guy and his wife, mind you, she, she died of shock when she... <laughs> well, no, she killed herself. She killed herself yeah, because she, she couldn't him. bear oh. to live yeah. with him anymore after his horrific face. But, and I mean, it's not great that the motivation for uh, all of this happening is his Herodon wife demanding that they have the finer things in life. I mean, just like, that's, that's not fantastic. That she's constantly hectoring him about them needing more money and he's perfectly happy to live as a, a peasant, you know, in some part of Eastern Europe. We're never told exactly where. Goroslava is the province that, uh, which he, he names his house Goroslava in the show. And that's the province where Mr. Sardonicus takes place. Uh, and he also seems to have gotten an education. Oh, yeah. He's, after after he got his money. Exactly. Like, he turned himself into. And that's the interesting thing. Like, he bought a baronship, or a barony, or whatever you call it, right? Uh, he bought himself a barony, and then he went out of his way to, like, in every conceivable way, present himself as the member of the upper class that he didn't yep. start as. And it only, and the corruption just gets worse and worse and he becomes more and more monstrous the longer he lives as a rich guy. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting touch and I wasn't expecting that out of the movie. Well, no, I mean, I, well, my, my reaction afterwards, well, there were other things that Volchek could have learned from this movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Than the ones he did learn. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, in other words the impact of his parentage. And that's the thing. There's no real negative impact from Sardonicus's parentage. Yeah, It's yeah. only what he did after his father died because his father was a nice guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he even brought, bought something for the wife. And if she hadn't been so stupid, <laughs> you know, none of this would have happened. She refused to take the, uh, the ticket. Yep. You know, the 7-7, seven, seven, it was 7077 or 7077. Yeah, 7077, yeah. Yeah, 7077, yeah. so. Yeah, had she not refused to take the ticket, none of this would have happened. None of it. And, and that's the key message, in fact. That it's like, a, this all could have been avoided, and then he's the one who suffers for her, you know, pff, uh, treating the father like a... Uh, I mean, she suffers too. She does wind up killing himself, but he's the one who has to dig up the corpse and see his horrible father's face. And what what is to be made of the fact that, like, the father was this unbelievably happy guy all the time? Yeah. And in death, he has a permanent smile. Yeah, it was a weird smile, though. Yeah, it was a weird smile. Because, you know, I mean, the idea is that he his uh, skin has, you know, pulled back. Yeah. You know, is pulled back in death because he's been down there a couple of months when they figure that out. When yeah. Out well, yeah. And so, the, so it isn't just a skeleton anymore. No. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's like, uh, but the, so it's, it's like he died with a smile on his face and then the skin pulled back as he decomposed, leaving him with this horrible, monstrous grin that, of course, the Baron's face gets locked in as well. And what interests me about that is like the, it's almost as if they're saying that it's like their refusal to just be happy like him has create has you know brought this curse upon him. And like he could never be as as content and happy. No one could be as content as happy as the father was. So now he's forced to constantly smile. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Except that he. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I probably. I didn't think through all of that I, I thought it was kind of weird that the that that was the idea that a skull would ever end up in that shape anyway like the face and the contraction yeah so yeah. what happened you know I mean because that's I mean how did he die for heaven's sakes 
I he assume it was. I, well, yeah, I know. But no, they say he died that night. So I just have to assume he had a heart attack while he was sleeping. Because he died the very night that, they, uh, that he gave them the ticket. Mm-hmm. As, they say, as he says, that's the last time I ever saw my father. Right as he was happily going off to sleep after the thing. So, you know, who can say what the implication there is? But I think the idea is, like, their unwillingness to just be content the, uh, the way he was has created this kind of curse on them. W- would yeah. be my take on that situation. Well, yeah, I would say, well, yes. And it's first the wife and then it's him. And I mean, he could have just given up the money. Yep. And but that's... no, he's not going to. He'd won so much. Oh, yes. He, he became absurdly wealthy. And we have to assume it's a situation where wealth attracted more wealth. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he had this giant amount of money from the lottery. And then he, uh, of course, that means he was able to invest it. And having money allows you to easily get more money. Is the old is the message of all of these things? Like once he was seen as a man of money, he was able to quickly make more and more until he has this ridiculous position. And the question is, and this is one thing the film doesn't make super clear: is how long ago was all of this? Because Crawl seems to have been working for him for like a while. Well, not only has Crawl been working, but you have to go look back to the doctor. Yeah, and the doctor was a nobody doctor. Yeah, and he's, uh, and he you're right. now sort of over the years, so I would say it's probably 20 years. It's got to be, right? Like, yeah, I mean, well, I no, a 15, maybe 15, 20 years, because the doctor's in his, we're going to assume, late 30s, and she dumped him, right, before he became a doctor because he wasn't going to be successful enough. Yes, well, her father. Her father, been- yeah, the father. You're right. You're right. It's not her fault. Don't, don't blame her fault. for it. No, no, absolutely not. This is the, this was the time when daughters married who they were told. To oh no, marry. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just find it interesting, right? I just find it interesting that I'm not 100% clear within the film on when that happened, because it's not like she. Like, she was sent away to marry someone of more consequence, but it doesn't seem like she's been married to Baron Sardonicus for 20 years, 15 or 20 years. Yeah, but she might not have gotten married right away. Right away, yeah. They might have found, you're right, they might have, like, found the right uh, spouse for her eventually, yeah. and it might have taken some time. Yeah, because yeah, it's like, Baron Sardonicus, let's say the whole thing with the father happened 15 years ago, as you say, there has to be time for him to build up his wealth and become a man of consequence enough that he is, that they're able to, you know, get their daughter to him. Yeah. So that has to have taken some time. I don't know yeah. exactly how much, but that is the implication, I think, that it's been a while. I would uh, be- think- Yeah, because he has become a celebrated doctor who <laughs> uses massage to cure paralyzed muscles. Uses uh, heat and massage, and that is is his revolutionary technique. I'm like, okay. I don't know a lot about I don't know a lot about paralyzed muscles. Well, it just yeah, seems like it's not that. Fa- like, it, you're right. It's the eighteen. It's eighteen. It's the eighteen nineties. So, if that, yes. If that, yeah. Well, no, because they talk about specifically about the invention of the modern syringe, right? Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it is around then. Like that is so it's it's like the very late nineteenth uh, century is when this is all taking place because of the brand new syringes that have just been invented in uh, Scotland, and so yeah, the, we do have a good idea of when the film is set. Uh, what I, and what I find interesting there is so, but you're right. I guess to to us that seems a little silly, but in the eighteen nineties, I guess that is a revolutionary technique. Oh yeah, to be able to get yeah to be able to uh, just use stuff. kinesiotherapy to. Uh, yeah, re uh, re-energize muscles. I mean, well, now it's just physio. Now we just call it physiotherapy. But I guess it yeah. had to be invented at some point, right? Yeah, because you know when when my back knotted up. Yeah. Way back when, I mean, part of it was there was no, there was nothing else to do but physiotherapy, and I did it for six weeks. But the very first session I had, I fell asleep and I was asleep for like two hours on the table oh because God. she didn't have anybody else coming in. 
let ah. me sleep. Gotcha. And but and it is was just physiotherapy and it's just doing things to the muscles. And he uses the psychological approach. We see that with Sardonicus. But yeah. even with that little girl, she probably hurt herself and it hurt too much to move. And then she be, and then she so she wouldn't use her muscles and things like that. And so, so she stops trying eventually. Yeah. And so there's a psychological component. And when he can warm up those muscles and he can move those muscles around, then all of a sudden it's possible. And, you know, the mother is, is astounded and the daughter is happy and she'll start doing the exercises, even though it might hurt. Yeah. Because now she knows it's possible. Yeah. You know, so there, there's a psychological component in all of that as well. So, yeah, and in fact, that becomes the main theme of it. Yeah. Right. And that becomes the main theme of it because as, as we knew from the, uh, as we knew from wise guy, the thing that had cursed Baron Sardonicus was not believing he could get better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we knew that. And yes, I mean, it's Mr. Sardonicus's guilt. And it, of course, that is this idea of the ghoul. Yeah. Right. At the beginning. I mean, William Castle, I mean, that was, those introductions were great. I know. It's so charming. Yeah. And, um, it was, uh, yeah, it, it's the guilt about the ghouls and, and he yeah. shouldn't have done Turning it. I mean, he just should not have disturbed the dead. Yep. I mean, that's, I mean, we don't think about that so much anymore yeah, at all. But the, the cultural admonition runs deep to yeah. leave, to leave the dead where they are, to leave them yes. alone. You leave the dead in peace. Mm-hmm. It's called rest in peace for a reason. Yeah. And they are supposed to disintegrate to dust. Exactly. They are returned to dust as it uh, as the phrase goes. Yes. From dust we come and from to dust we return. There you go. Yeah. And yeah. he broke that, you know, most sacred thing. And he yes. disturbed the dead to get the money. And so yeah. the money itself and his station itself has become cursed. And I mean, for the love of God, like... <laughs> How great is it? And you can understand how, uh, this is how cleverly the show is written with them delving the movie together in the same way that Mark has his, you know, all of his male family members out in the cryogenic chamber in the back, right? Yeah. This guy has got his father's body. Yeah. Just down the hall. Cause like uh, they've got the closed door and I didn't know, I didn't see that part coming. No, and I didn't either. That is left out of the wise guy. So I'm like, oh, is his is his wife secretly not dead and she's insane? And they're doing a, you know, um, Mr. Rochester. Yeah, I was about to say Mr. Rochester thing, and she was just driven insane by seeing his face, and now she's just locked up there. But no, it's so much darker than that. Yeah, he's got the. He went and so once he had dug up his father, he just moved the boy. Yeah. Or like he went back later and had Krull dig up the body and bring the corpse so that he could constantly be tortured by it. Yeah. And he's like choosing, and that's and that's the key. Like by keeping his father there, he's choosing to torture himself and he's choosing to stay in this misery. He's punishing himself. Like, and it, well, I mean, Sir Roger, uh, Sir Robert says that at the end, that it's like yeah. he is the architect like of, he his was his own, of his own misery. I mean, the very fact that he gets, so the smile wasn't enough. Now he has lockjaw and he can't open his mouth. Yep. He cannot oh. eat, he cannot drink, he will be dead. Well, no, he can probably, um, he can probably still drink. Well, no, he, because remember, he tries. Oh, yeah, but I mean. All spills I'm just down. saying, uh, yeah, but he tries in an angry, frustrated, pushing stuff against his mouth saying, I'm saying. People have their wires, jaws wired shut, and they still successfully drink soup and survive. Yes, well, you know? this is the 19th century. Yeah, but I'm saying, like... And he it, doesn't want to live. No, he doesn't want to live. Yeah, and that's, but, that, but that's my point. Like, he could survive the lockjaw. He's choosing not to. He's yeah, choosing I mean, he to take fine. his punishment. Yeah. He was fine, and he gave his wife a divorce, and... Yep. And he was going to offer Sir Robert money. And Sir Robert, of course, is so disgusted by this situation, he would never take it. 
Yeah. And he yeah. renew his practice and he was successful. Oh yeah. And it He's is proven his theories. But it is Crawl who just says, no, they, the train had already left when I got there. Yep. But you see how, and that, that's the thing that gets me, right, that I find so key here, is the idea of there being two endings and the audience having to decide for him to get punished. <laughs> and again, obviously he gets punished no matter what, right? Yeah. But the idea that there could have been another ending, that's what they should have put in. Yeah, that's what they should have put in Wise Guy. Yeah, and they that, and they really didn't miss something in Wise Guy by not yeah. digging into the idea that he could have had a happy ending. And in the same way that Baron Sardonicus was choosing to make himself sick, Mark was choosing to believe that there was only one way that all of this could go. And then he changed, he suddenly realized there could be another ending, and he took it. Yes. Now, exactly. it, it needed Crawl. Of course. <laughs> to tell him. Yeah. It was all in his head. Yeah. <laughs> and, I do, and the funny thing is, is that though watching Mr. Sardonicus, even if he had told, even if Crawl had told Mr. Sardonicus. Yeah. That I'm not sure. Could that he have accepted it? That's yeah, the real question. I mean, it, this, this, this guilt of his what ran so deep and it's more than i mean here's the thing the diff the difference between the two men of course that's key to mark being able to change yeah is that mark doesn't have didn't do anything yeah except try to extend his father's and his grandfather's life and follow the family trajectory yes he was following the family trajectory he's not the one who committed the vile act he was no. just born into a world where these vile acts were part of his legacy yeah and and that's a that's something you can walk away from in a way that mr sardonicus because i mean we don't see that he's massively religious but obviously he would have of course been. he is <laughs> course he is and he believes in these ghouls and he believes that this has turned him into something evil and he has created a sin against god mm -hmm. doesn't i mean that's not said it's not the terminology they use but it is the subtext yeah it's the subtext and because immediately like sir robert and the wife leave yep and he ends up with lockjaw immediately immediately they're gone yeah the moment they're gone yes so we don't get any freudian analysis yet <laughs> <laughs> no yeah that would have helped him quite a bit actually yeah yeah if he could have dug into uh the origins of this and the stuff about his father and not living up to it and yeah like that that actually would have helped him a lot that would have helped him but he didn't have that option he no firmly believed he had committed the ultimate sin and he had to pay for it. Well, yeah. and he caused his wife's death. Oh, of course. Even if she committed suicide and no matter... Oh, he, he felt, you know, cripplingly responsible for that. Yeah. And I think it's a better movie. And this is just a minor thing. This is my own personal taste. I think it's a better movie if his wife is presented more sympathetically at the start. Yeah. And I mean, we can, we can talk about the cultural assumptions that go into the way his wife is depicted, but I think if I would change one thing about this movie, it's that like, he has to be the one who's trying to provide for his wife. And it's obviously she would appreciate if they were more comfortable, but it's like, he's the one who is, you know, cursed by his inability to give them a better life. Right. And... Uh, like he's the one who's desperate to give them a better life and he's the one who has the impetus to go and get the thing. I think it's a better movie if he does do it to himself because there's this muddling that happens, right? Yes, because the wife wants because more. Because the wife is the always the one demanding the money. And in fact, the, one, the wife is the one who says the key line because he says, oh my God, the the lottery ticket was in the jacket and she's the one who says the line that kicks off the plot no 
it is in the jacket. That's the single line that kicks yeah. off all of this story well, here's, because it yeah, opens up the possibility of robbing the grave. Yeah, because here here is the thing, because if she is the person that she is portrayed as being in this movie, yeah, then she probably could have found a way to live with that face. Yeah, I know, right? Rather than be horrified by it. Yeah. Whereas if his wife had tried to dissuade him from going to get the ticket. And saw what a monster the money and everything had turned her husband into, the yeah. the killing herself makes so much more sense. Yeah. That's that's true. I hadn't I mean I didn't analyze this movie as much as, <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. As as you did, except that I do agree with you when I when I think about it, like you can just see what can be done because the woman that he was married to would have found a way to live with him. Yeah. And to enjoy that money. Enjoy and the money and faith, everything. You know, and then he would, because he would have just worn a, a mask over top of it. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, the thing is, one. and it, in fact, and I, I, I think it's kind of crazy that we, here we are, like, even doing our rewrite thing on Baron Sardonicus. <laughs> we can't stop ourselves, basically. But think no. about it. If, if he destroyed his wife, you know, with this you know, naive idea that they would be happier and, you know, stable if they had more money, right? If he had destroyed his wife uh, via that, it actually also ties in with why he has this really twisted relationship with women and his second wife. Yeah. Because he would be taking out what he did to his wife on them. Well, and I'm not convinced that he doesn't also put those women through leeches, you know? Oh, I mean, he might. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Although yeah. why, you know, it, it, it is, um, it was, as I said, it was a much better movie than you are led to believe if you watch Wise Guy. Wise yeah. Guy. If you watch Wise Guy, you're expecting like just the, the worst schlock, but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Yeah. Like I've seen, I've seen worse of those types of B horror movies. Oh, Absolutely. I've seen so many of those that are so much worse. I still remember the first one I ever saw was with Vincent Price, and I still don't remember what it was called. Yeah. Right? Which, yeah. Like, well, he made like 50 of them, so it might be hard to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, it might be hard. I'd have to go and sort of look at the plot of all of them, but the plots of some of them are this similar, but, you know, there was the oh, yeah. wife, and there was the other, and there was the castle with the hidden doors, and he was secretly... You, you know, know, William Castle and Vincent Price did a book. I think it was a book. Oh, my God. They did a, um, a movie that I think they called The Fall of the House of Usher, but it was just H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's The Case of Charles Dexter Ward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay. Okay. You know, with, the, with the guy coming back from the dead, uh, the guy resurrecting his ancestor, who was his, a twin sorcerer of him, and that guy stealing his life. Yeah. Like, it was... Pretty fantastic. And so, yes, he even worked with William Castle a bunch. So, yeah, it's not impossible that we would be able to track down this one you remember from your childhood. Well, it may even, yeah, well, yeah, I was in my mid-teens, but... Okay. But yeah. and one thing I find interesting, though, right, is uh, I will say this about uh, Jeffrey Lyons, right, and his interpretation. It is like, um, it's, it's less gruesome than you might be expecting. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some dark stuff in it, but if you think about it, nobody actually gets killed in this. Nope. Well, we, nobody. Yeah. we all know the Baron is going to die. Yeah, the Baron the will die eventually, but you, yeah. the audience, is responsible for that one. And a wife, the wife killed herself off camera in the past, yeah. but it's like, there's no body count in this movie at all. The maid is fine. Like, okay, that uh, village girl 100% had a bad night, but yeah. fundamentally... She's not, yeah. nobody's getting killed. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because you expect there to be, you know, people being tortured to death or people being burned at the stake in this kind of movie. But, you know, it's, it's actually fairly clean as one of these movies goes. Metropolis is worse. <laughs> exactly, right? You know, you go watch Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Exactly. Like even, oh, a, a, I know, uh, even an art film like Metropolis is more brutal than this one. So it's like, yeah, it is. there is, I mean, I'm not going to say there's an innocence to this, but it is really more focused on the character's psychology, right? 
than it is the horrible acts. Yeah. And I find that really interesting. You know, yeah, and I no, think it, 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 it separates it, it, it from a lot of the other movies that are like it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, I, I was not expecting to be as fond of Baron Sardonicus as I wound up being. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Mr. Sardonicus. Mr. I keep calling the movie Baron Sardonicus. But, yeah, of course, the movie is called Mr. Sardonicus. But yeah, uh -huh. like, I, I ended up liking, because, yeah, you're given this expectation by the movie, by Wise Guy, that it's just, you know... Uh, cheesy schlock but I'll say it this way and this is something I think we should have realized going in if there really wasn't that much to the movie Baron Sardonicus it probably wouldn't have convinced the writers of Wise Guys Caliber to make an entire story arc about the movie Baron Sardonicus <laughs> if it really was that much schlock right yeah so yeah like um, the big takeaway is Way better than I thought it was going to be. Way a lot. Because remember, I was going, oh, I don't want to see this. Oh, I don't want to see this. Yeah. But it was. You really I really mean, have to watch it. Yeah. I you know, it's right from the, it's stuck. I mean, yes, it's one of your 70s movies. Yeah. Or whatever. 60s, um, yeah. 60s, 70s movies. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. Um, yeah. And it is, but. You know, the, the the acting was fine given the time. Oh, yeah. It was a well put together. I do think that, um, as I said, unlike all the others that I have, or some of the others, because there are some Hammer stuff that's really good too. Oh, absolutely. You know, that there's, there's other stuff. And um, because Castle has this reputation and I, the introducing it that was fine oh yeah the ending and the, the fun scene where he comes in at the end to yeah. uh sentence baron sardonicus to yeah. uh the worst possible punishment and it's like oh so the so she accompanies sir robert back to london we got a happy ending and as he says but is that did everyone really get what they deserve <laughs> yeah you know after all just remember all the horrible things he did yep yeah, crawl off that eye, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's such a nice little scene. Yeah, so... Where he comes in at the end to remind us, no, no, you're bloodthirsty, aren't you? Don't you want the real... Don't you want the real ending? Don't you want the punishment? You know, and talking to members of the audience. <laughs> I, oh, I know, that's so cute. Oh, yes, you you in the, in the third row, you know, higher... Yeah. Hey, kids, sit down so I can start to keep seeing these cards. You know, I mean, it was, yes, but the movie itself, there are a lot of those B movies. They're short. Yep. Um, they're easy to watch. They come from beginning to end. They okay. have very basic, simple plots. And this is, but this one has, has a lot more to it. Yeah. I think that there was, I think that Volchek took some of the wrong lessons from this. I remember thinking that as I was going through, okay, so you, you focused on that, not this part of it, right? Yeah. You, you didn't focus because it's very clear that, you know, Sir Robert tells him, oh, you know, getting the knighthood, now we're talking 15, 20 years. They may not exactly. look it. And yeah. remember, you could get to be a doctor a lot faster in those That's days. That's true. He could have been a doctor when he was 18. You're right. So when, he could yeah, be 36 18, and be yeah. a well-established, famous doctor. In yeah. This. So, but but when I'm looking at this, right, and going, yeah, well, yeah, but didn't you, you've watched this every day of your life. Right. You don't, you haven't ever heard what Dr. Robert said. Which yeah, was yeah. this, I gave him saline. Yeah. I didn't. He could have him. healed himself at any moment. Yes, he could have healed himself at any moment. He could have gotten better. Yeah. And then, and that's the, but what I love is that instead of listening to Sir Robert, yeah. Mark listens to William Castle. That there yeah. can be no forgiveness. Yeah. It's that you don't, that like people have to pay and pay and pay. And you never stop paying for your sins. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's right there. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is that who can who can figure out what sin Mark 
committed. <laughs> That's the thing. Like yeah, he trying didn't. to get away from his father. Yeah, his father, <laughs> this son of a bitch. Yeah. This awful son of a bitch that uh, that uh, that Rogo tells us about. Yeah. And it's like all he did was not live up to what his father wanted him to be. Which only you shows the, the power. Oh, God, yeah. Kind of child rearing. Oh, my God, yeah. That is the message, right? That is the message yeah. of that whole arc. That it's like you create these systems of corrupt power and it like the system becomes self-perpetuating. Mark sees what a monster his family was and he feels he is, you know, um, by accepting their money, by living this life that they lived, he is complicit in everything they did. But the thing is, he didn't start the system, right? No. He's just living in the system and he can stop the system whenever he wants, which is exactly what he does. Yeah. But it takes, you know, <laughs> them play acting a new ending of Baron Sardonicus. Yeah, to so make him understand that but yeah just think of how much more resonant it is if they dig in on the fa the whole part of the movie because they don't touch on it at all the part of the movie where where william castle says there could have been a happy ending well yeah and i that, mean yeah. by saying what kind of ending do you want that allows for the possibility that a happy yeah. ending could have happened yeah and and volchek would have seen that every day Every day. We almost should have watched this before. I know, right? Yeah, now that now that I'm thinking about it, because we could have analyzed this through the eyes of Mr. Sardonicus. Yeah. Which well, would have added a different dimension to the the oh, arc. Absolutely. Basically the arc that we love, even if it's not the best one. <laughs> oh. It might not be the best series, but it's our favorite. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's our favorite it was, arc. Well, because it does so much. No, and all it would have taken would have been Roger to have made a cut because he's the one that suggests changing the ending. And yeah. he, all he had to do, and you said this already, yep. is, well, okay, so why don't we change the results of the poll? Yeah. Bring up the poll. Yeah. You know? That's, yeah, that's what they the should have done. Bring up the fact that part that's like, bring up the fact where he's polling the audience. And have, uh, and have, you know, Lacey or whoever say, Miss Lacey Marseille say, well, no, but I mean, I know about William Castle because she's watched this movie 200 times. It's like, no, the, <laughs> the polls were fake. He didn't, you know, he only ever shot one ending and he just, he was bring, making people complicit in the bad ending that the characters got. Yeah. And, and then Roger would just have to say, well, what if it wasn't fake? You know? Because <laughs> as you say, he's the one who suggested changing the ending, so changing the ending so tie it in with that aspect of the movie and it's more satisfying and i mean that is the one thing i would change there in that arc okay and you know what you know what's interesting yeah and you it said that what was interesting is who knows they probably didn't go and rewatch mr sardonicus over and over because they were so freaking busy rewriting the entire arc because Ken Wall had jumped out yeah, on them. You know, so they hadn't seen, probably hadn't just remembered it. Yeah, just, well, I mean, know, they, they, I mean, they know they had the movie, but they like, they didn't give it the thought they should have. Yeah. Right? They, they didn't, didn't get to that to extra level because <laughs> they were so busy scrambling to try and still do a TV show without the star of the TV show. TV show. Yeah, you don't envy them what they pulled off in Lynchboro. No, so they pulled off. I mean, if you consider that they lost the show's star in the first yeah. episode, in the second episode of the arc, and then it's like, okay, well, how the hell are we doing the rest of this arc? So yeah, like they were in a bad situation. So it actually, in a way, it makes perfect sense that they would have missed this thing that to us seems like perfectly obvious to tie them in, but you know, when you're under that kind of time pressure and having to rewrite the entire arc. Yeah, that is something you could easily miss. And they did miss it because they so expertly weave. Now that we've seen it, we know that they, even more than you thought of, they so expertly weave Mr. Sardonicus into the story. Obviously, if they had the time to think about it, they would have brought in William Castle's fake voting system yeah. into how Roger decided to just do the new ending. Yeah, yeah. Let, yeah. Let's pretend the polls said that Mr. Sardonicus could be happy now. Yes. Because he had that finally done the right thing. He had let this woman go. 
you know, and he's talked about and, and ultimately, and I mean, do you know what I'm thinking of? And, and I know they, his father. you know, do you know what would have been spectacular? And I know they can't do it. There's, there's oh. no way they would have had the budget and time to do it, but oh my God, just imagine if they could have done a scene where the people of the town are outside Goroslava and they all have the thumbs up card yeah. to vote that Mark deserves a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, I know that that would have been like full on Frank Capraing the ending, but come on. Think of how beautiful that would have been. And just think how much Frank Capra they already did this that season. <laughs> that season, I know. But it's okay. like actually bring in the town and actually bring out the thumbs up, thumbs down cards that William Castle used and have everybody holding these thumbs up cards. Well, I, and I don't know that it would have been that difficult. No, but that, that would have been powerful. Yeah, it would have been. You would have had the, you know, but then, you know what I think, why... And somebody might have even considered that, but I think it would have people, it would have been too obscure for the viewing uh, yeah, audience. Yeah, for the viewing audience. Well, no, but I mean, in, in my conception of this ending, we also would have had a scene with Roger watching the watching. voting sequence. Yeah, right? and Watching just, the voting okay. sequence and them talking about the voting sequence and saying, what if he gets this happy ending? And then like... He can do the whole screaming of no, and then Bobby would be there, and that would be the thing that, like, he sees the whole town ready to forgive him. Yeah. And then Bobby's, there, like, the like the cops, the barber, right? Yeah. The people from the, the sawmill, the, the women from the Corvette lounge. Yeah. And then he's just screaming no, he can't accept it, he can't be forgiven, and then Bobby's there. And then he turns around and Bobby's there, and it's an even bigger climax for him. Yeah. You well, know. because now that he knows that Bobby's not dead. He can be forgiven. Yep. He can be forgiven. You know, you can take it back. Yeah. Oh. That, I mean, now we're just picturing a, an even better ending for our favorite arc. <laughs> but it's like, I know it's crazy because you watch the show and you have this idea because of how the show frames it, about how silly he is. For being obsessed with this movie. Because, you know, Roger judges him pretty harshly for it. Yeah. Then so does Lacey. You know, I mean, pretty much everybody does. The FBI sure as hell does. Yeah. And, but then you watch it and you're like, no, there's, there's something here. There really is. There really is something interesting here. And something kind of, if not profound, possibly powerful here. Like, it's a better movie than I thought it was going to be. And I think it makes, like, having seen the movie makes me love that arc even more. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it was a movie. I, it, it is amazing how they, well, it, it, yeah, because it's such an innovative thing to try and do. Yeah. It's like so many other things about Wise Guy up to yeah. that, up to the end of the third season that they just tried to do things differently. And they tried to create something different. And even that, even as, a, as we always said, Roger as the angel, right? I know. <laughs> to the fact that he just disappears at the end. Yeah. Everybody's cheering and he turns and Roger's just gone. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's like, yeah, that's the role. And you're right. If they were going to do... Uh, if, if they were going to do, if they were going to Frank Capra that ending, you know, the, it's not, or, uh, I mean, not just Frank Capra, obviously it's, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge, it's not too late. It's, yeah. it's still, you know, it's Christmas Day, it's not too late. Yeah, it's still Christmas Day, you can still bring the turkey. Yeah, and, and that's when he goes and he gets beat up, because yeah. that's what he deserves. Because he never, like, he never earned his place in their society. Right. And that's the that's the beautiful part of that ending is him understanding that he never earned his place. Right. He didn't deserve what he had. And he has to actually become part of the community, not believe that he uh, is ruling over it. And I got to say, the thing that I thought was kind of funny, right, was <laughs> I'm watching it. Uh, I've been listening to this wonderful um, 
right? I've been uh, listening to this wonderful series of podcasts about the various, you know, the history of revolutions, right? And, you know, how various governments fall and how things, you know, uh, how the, the world is entirely changed by these sudden revolutions and people being thrown out of power. And what got me, right, when I was listening to it is like the theme that runs through all of them. And I mean, the guy is not willing because he's just a historian, right? He's not, uh, he's not a philosopher. He's not a political theorist. He's just telling you the facts. And it's so funny that every single story of these revolutions is that, wow, the ruling class really just are a bunch of people who don't want to have to work for a living, aren't they? Like, they're all of these people who will do anything to keep from having to put in an honest day's work. Who will come up with any series of justifications to live in a life of idle luxury. Yeah. Hmm. And it's crazy. Like, and that's over and over and over again. You have these guys who just come up with these. And right now, back then, we had the myth of, you know, divine right. And now we have the myth of meritocracy. But it all at the end of the day. Well, all, and at the end of the day, the myth of meritocracy is the same as the myth of divine right. It's this fantasy that gets cooked up to explain why people have this ungodly amount of wealth and comfort while people who were who weren't born lucky you know have to suffer and the or, thing is please. yeah okay here's and here's, that but that's what mark is dealing with yeah okay but here's here's the issue right i don't want to go not we're not, not going to go mark very issue. deep into that i know i i don't want to go the, the the business with meritocracy is that I would say 90% of the people uh, just born into it, right? Yeah, of course. But you then have, of course, the Bill Gates of the world and the Jeff Bezos of the world and uh, <clears throat> the Satan reincarnated of the world. Who is uh, Satan reincarnated in this context? He just bought Twitter. Oh, Elon Musk, yes. Yeah, but the, and the funny part is, all of those guys have these stories of meritocracy. Yes. Right. But if you look into their lives, all of them were born into obscene wealth and privilege. Right. And people don't tell the story about Bill the obscene amounts of wealth and privilege. People don't tell the story about Bill Gates, where Bill Gates took all of the work that other people were doing for free, and his, you know. His, his genius move was not to do brilliant new work, but was to put, was to shut down the open, the world of open computer development. Because computer development in the 60s and 70s was all a bunch of hippies, right? Who thought that this was like uh, the, the oh, yeah, way sneakers. society was going to improve. Well, we remember sneakers. It's right there. Yeah, it's right there and in sneakers. What Bill Gates did was he brought lawyers and unbelievably restrictive you know, uh, intellectual property ownership laws. And let's not forget, here's, people want to pretend that Bill Gates got there on his own. Here's how Bill Gates got rich. And people don't know this, right? So I'll just tell it. IBM owned all computer production. Top to bottom, they were computers in America. So the U.S., and so meanwhile, uh, Bill Gates and his various partners at Microsoft were working in the uh, the low end of hobbyist computer markets. So people who would buy a kit computer, right, build it, and then run the computer themselves. Like, people used to home-make computers in the 70s and 80s. It's crazy, but it's true. And what he and his partners developed was a disk operating system that you could put on your kit computer and it would run, make it so it could easily run disks. That was the big innovation. And MS-DOS. MS-DOS, the Microsoft Disk Operating System. That's what MS-DOS stood yeah. for, right? And his and But what happened was, because it was a hobbyist community, there was no way for him to make money off of that. People kept sharing it on disks, and he spent more time like working with lawyers to try to find a way to sue people sharing this stuff on disks, right? Than he did actually developing the software. And so here's what happens. Yeah. Here's the key part. Here's what happens. Uh, IBM gets sued by the Justice Department because they're a monopoly and that used to be illegal. 
not illegal anymore because, you know, everything has been corrupted since Reagan destroyed America. Like, uh, I mean, I'm not going to get too political here, but 40 years yeah, ago, yeah, yeah. 40 years, uh, I'm just saying, 40 years ago, Reagan destroyed America and we're all just living in the wreckage of it. But anyway, uh, the point go. is, the point is, so they got sued and they were proven to be. And so IBM says to you, essentially, you can make software or you can make hardware. You can't do both. They were legally required, legally required by the Justice Department to buy an operating system from somewhere else, someone else. Yeah. And so they bought MS. So they bought it from Microsoft because the rampant piracy made it so Microsoft DOS was the thing people were already using. Yeah. So if it weren't for A, massive freely sharing of software, and B, a court order against monopolies... Microsoft never happens. Bill Gates never becomes a billionaire. And then Microsoft becomes a monopoly and eats up everything in, in its sight. And then in the 90s, they uh, do one of those monopoly things against Microsoft. And what was Microsoft forced to do? Fund Apple. That's true. That You can look that up. It's a true fact. The reason... The iPad exists, the, uh, the iPad exists, the reason the iMac exists, all of that is because the government forced Microsoft to start just dumping money into Apple. Apple doesn't happen if the government doesn't make Apple happen. So don't tell me meritocracy exists. Don't tell me any of these guys got there on their own. Because every time it's the government breaking up a, no a monopoly that allows innovation to happen. Every single time. So anyway, yes, that's why I say that the, uh, the meritocracy is as much of a myth as the divine right of kings. Yeah, well, I will tell you, I mean, it's so funny when I think about South Korea, right? Yeah. And, and this business of the, this threat of the monopoly. I would say that that's a running theme. Yeah. In so much of what I watch, uh, South Korean material. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's always... There's always a company somewhere and they're all yeah, yeah. in bed with politicians and <laughs> corruption is unbelievable. Yep. You know, and it's this small, tiny little powerhouse. Anyway, yeah. but Something that to think is, about. but yes, but it ties in and I know I got a little farther afield than I had planned with that speech and I apologize, but it, no, it does tie into what Mark I goes know. through. Because yes. all of his torment, the origin of it is that he doesn't deserve what he has. Well, and well, it, but it's even more than that. It's that he doesn't want what he has. That's true. Yeah. And he You're has to right. persuade himself. He has to constantly persuade himself. Tell that, himself this story. Yes. That, yeah, this story over and over and over again. And watching Mr. Sardonicus constantly reminds him that that story is a lie. And yeah. so he punishes himself over and over and over again by watching Mr. Sardonicus, which is an attack on money giving you rights. Yeah. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it was a... It was, it was a lot better movie. The bottom line is it was a lot better and it actually made that arc even more interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's already, you know, our favorite arc, but this just makes it even better. Yeah. In a way that I just wasn't expecting. <laughs> well, who knew, who knew it was going to be so nice, clean cut. And I know, right? With the resolution and he didn't even kill the dogs. I know he didn't even kill the dogs. You know, Sir Robert is just, you know, using psychology. Yeah. And just makes him believe that he's killing the dogs and takes so much time doing his testing. Well, and I think that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Right? The, uh, the concept that nothing can be worthwhile if it's easy. Like things have to suffer. Like you have to suffer for things for them to be valuable. Right. And you wouldn't, like, Sir uh, Baron Sardonicus wouldn't have believed, right? Uh, would have not have believed that the cure could work if it didn't come from 
killing all these dogs. If it didn't come from harsh experimentation, he wouldn't have believed it, and his belief would all, was all that matters because it was always their minds creating these problems. Yeah. God, it's fascinating. <laughs> It really is fascinating. Well, and the funny thing is, is that you you do set it at the time when those ideas are fermenting all over Europe. Yeah. Not maybe in Gorislava. <laughs> okay, but they are fermenting. You know, mm -hmm. because there's all sorts of people working with, you know, hypnosis and they, they had different names for things. Of course. And, um, but like in France, there were all sorts of people that were already coming up with, Freud was not unique. He did study with people in France early on that gave him some of his ideas as well, that they were all working, giving more importance to the power of the mind uh, to affect the body, right? And... Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, it was all over the place. This is, this, is. This, this last, the last 50 years after Darwin, everything changed. Yeah. For better and worse. I mean, th there were so many good things and so many bad things that came out, but it was a massive cultural shift. It really was. And, um, and so you're just seeing a little bit of that in this Mr. Sidonicus. I think it's based on a, a novella or something. Yep. Yeah, I looked it up, and it is based on a novella. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a short little story. Yeah. But they they spun it out in an interesting way. Oh, yeah. They really yeah. did. Yeah. I Our, No problem. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's that. Um, I know this is going to sound crazy, but until we find something else uh, very tied into Wise Guy... This is going to be our last Wise Guy show, our last style section show. Don't worry. Uh, we're trying uh, to figure out what to do next. We're trying to figure out what to do next. I mean, we're, we're going to do Wire in the Blood, but that's really Profiling Criminal Minds. Yeah. And this was always a sub-show of Profiling Criminal Minds, but now that we've covered all of... I mean, honestly, at some point in the future, we might be saying, you know what, let's just go watch all of Ken Wall's movies. You know? There's only like six of them. It won't be that difficult. So we might do something like that. We might, uh, you know, go all in on the um, the Ken Wall fan cast thing. Yeah. That's entirely possible, you know. Uh, I mean, we're not going to watch uh, Boy Meets World or anything. Uh, <laughs> that's right. William Russ went on to be the dad on a long-running uh, long sitcom that, you know, is hugely popular for people. It, it's crazy. Like, you had... Um, like two of these great, uh, you know, actors from these wonderful things we loved went on to play like just the the pleasant, you know, dad who who knows the way the world works on shows. Because not only did William Russ become the dad on Boy Meets World, Kurtwood Smith from RoboCop okay, that's was the dad was... on yeah, yeah. <laughs> became the dad on that '70s show. Like <laughs> so stuff you would have never seen coming, but no. it happened. It happened, you know. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like we might, we might go and just look at all of uh, Ken Wall's career at some point. But right now, expect to see us mostly over on, uh, over on Profiling Criminal Minds, where we a are going to start watching Wire in the Blood, and b are going to keep watching Korean dramas because it turns out we really like Korean dramas. Well, particularly since the, we have so many of them that do involve serial killers. I know it works out perfectly. Even you know, even when even when they decide somebody is at least when they go somebody's possessed, they go <laughs> all out. <laughs> we don't have the criminal minds. That's what we'll end up saying all the time, right? With when criminal minds couldn't decide whether or not there really were demons. I know. Uh, in the Korean shows, no, they're comfortable saying there are demons. That's, there are uh, demons. Yeah. And, there are demons. That's that. And everybody, it was funny, eh? Somebody we were talking about. Oh, it was one of my students, eh? Hell, hellbound. Oh my yeah. lord! She says, "And you watch She said, "Did you watch?" And I said, "Yeah, oh yeah." <laughs> um, I'm not sure we'll watch that because that's not unless the second season shifts slightly because it's got another season coming. Um, but uh, cursed, the cursed. 
Um, just in case anybody wants to start watching Korean, there's one called Possessed and The Cursed. And they're very interesting, partly because, well, they fit in with our serial killers. So that's fine. Oh, yeah. You have to watch the movie I Saw the Devil. And it's in. Oh, yeah, we're doing I Saw the Devil first. Yeah, we'll do that with the Indian remake. Yeah. Um, and then, but things like Possessed and The Cursed, because they tell you a lot more. The Curse was more interesting than it, what, than it started out to be. When yeah. it started out, it was sort of like, okay, I want to see how this ends, so I'm going to have to go through the whole trial and tribulation because of the way Korean dramas are structured. I'm getting right. used to the way they're structured um, more than at the beginning. There's, there's a certain element, so I can, I can critique it better now yeah, than when I you could first started. before. But um, yeah, it, it, they are very interesting. And if you want to know whether or not shamanism is still a, a big part, a big part, we don't get the same sort of thing yet. Christianity does not allow you the same kind of um, movement and shapes. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, in all of them. And they create a completely different atmosphere scary as hell at times right um and you don't know how things are going to settle out but yeah interesting and what people oh never mind i'm not even going to start talking about it because yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it when we're actually watching yeah because it. it'll be the same thing i'll have already watched it and determined exactly for us yeah <laughs> you're right you're and, then, right. and then um, Dan will watch them one or two episodes at a time or one episode. Then, all of these have about, they're about an hour, an hour and five minutes sometimes. Yeah, so, and some of them are pretty dense. So we might be doing one episode at a time. Yeah, they're pretty dense. There's a lot of stuff going on in them. You know, right. you know, do you believe or don't you believe? Yeah. You know, and there's always, you know, the secular society versus the shamanistic. And as I made the crack, there was one one that I saw where the evil, the evil shaman who is willing to abet a truly evil thing, right? Yeah. Is Japanese. <laughs> Just, of course. Even your even your even your politics, right? Comes well, in. it's like my beloved movie, The Wailing, uh, which is this wonderful Korean horror movie, right? About this town that's cursed. And uh, and everyone's like, it, it must be that that Japanese guy who moved in on the mountain is a is a vampire that's yeah. causing this curse. And the whole movie, they're like, yeah, but it could it really just be that the this this Korean guy's a vampire? And then you get to the, end of the movie, and it's like, no, yeah, that that is what was going on. Well, I so the Japanese guy was a vampire. Yeah, no, that is what was going on. It, it, you you were I, right to be prejudiced. Yeah, and I'm 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 talking sometimes with. Like you're you're watching some of these things, right? And something, some evil has has some new evil has entered the Korean spiritual world. Yeah. And it only started after the Japanese were there. Yeah. The Japanese brought these uh, things with them. And then they adapted to the Korean culture. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know. Oh, no, I mean it's they uh, they are, and I'm not, I'm not saying they should be, okay? I don't want anyone to read my statement as this. They are still understandably concerned, uh, you know, and understandably bitter about the stuff Japan did to Korea. Yeah. They have every right to still feel that way. As I said, my uncle, my uncle after being in the march on Bataan, the Bataan march, and then it being in a Japanese prisoner of war camp was- He would never forgive them, yeah. Well, he was in the hospital for three years for severe PTSD after he, after he lost the war. And then they moved to Australia and, and he couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand being that close. Yeah, I get it. That's why they ended up in Sault Ste. Marie. Wow. All right. So we are going to, go. uh, yeah, <laughs> we're going to wrap this up here. Thank you, everyone for listening at always, as always, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any shows you think we should check out and apparently we need recommendations, drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to be back here next week. Don't know which day. Uh, 
with the first, like I saw the devil or, I mean, it's going to be something. Yeah. It'll show up. So make sure you're subscribed. It'll show up in your feed. Don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> we'll see you back here for that. But until then, I'm going to say that's right. Au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.